Welcome to Holy Cow. This is your host, Nurse Dawn. This episode of Holy Cow is about COVID-19, the top comorbidities, and what should be the number one thing being talked about this disease, but isn't. Let me tell you, it's not face masks and social distancing. Sorry, that's not the number one thing. If you've been listening to this podcast and like what you hear, please follow us on Twitter at holy underscore cow underscore pod and share with your friends you can listen to holy cow on anchor breaker apple Podcasts, overcast pocket cast radio public and spotify so here's the deal first thing about the podcast i'm still new to it still a hobby for me and i have uh i want to do a good job but here's the thing I feel like to get the best sounding podcast, I got to script the thing out and it just takes way too much time and then I feel like I don't get anything published. But if I free talk to you, I feel like I can get something published pretty darn quick, but then, you know, there's blank space, I have to stop and think for a second, maybe some filler words, um, so, like, as, you know, that kind of thing, and so it makes it not sounding as professional, I guess, so bear with me, this one, I felt like I really wanted to get out there today, I'd started on it last week, so it was part scripted, but not completed, but, and I'll tell you why in a minute, that I wanted to get this out there, because I feel really passionate about this particular issue, okay, so bear with me, we're going to be part scripted here, part uh, free speaking on our topic of the number one uh, and number two comorbidities that are killing people with COVID-19. Right? But first, I want to give a shout out to the Porcupine Report. If you like satire news for libertarians, the Porcupine Report is the place to find it. That's PorcupineReport.com and on Twitter at Porcupine Report. A satire news source for those of us who appreciate freedom above everything else. You'll find the best headlines such as Bill Clinton reviews Netflix film, Cuties, calls it the best film he's ever seen. Or Merriam-Webster changes the definition of racist to anyone you disagree with. Again, that's the PorcupineReport.com. Give me satire or give me death. Alright, hey. Today... I'm Nurse Dawn here. This is a Nurse Dawn podcast, a holy cow. And I've got some good news. First, it's looking like a lot of places that had significant spikes in the COVID are now on the downward trend. All right. Anecdotally, my ICU is no longer overflowing with COVID patients and even had a couple open beds the other day. So yay us, right? Now, I had a COVID patient yesterday. And this patient was 50 years old, and I'm, you know, I can't tell you any more details, you know, for HIPAA violation reasons. But he's 50 years old, and he passed away. He'd been in the hospital for over two weeks, left a wife and a cup and some children and so forth, you know, as you would expect here. And it's very sad, and it's unfortunate, but it also exemplifies the reason why I'm doing this podcast and why it means so much to me. The actual topic is that he was 
clinically obese and had type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance. And everything that I have seen is that those conditions, and I'll get to what the CDC says about it here in a minute, but those conditions, every patient I have had that has had a bad outcome from COVID, overweight, clinically obese, right, type 2 diabetic, with you know, just meaning they have insulin resistance, and those conditions are not being discussed in the major media that they're not being even discussed by our surgeon general who's still telling people to wear a mask and socially distance when i think it's like 44 percent of the country has a bmi greater than 30 so uh that is why we're doing this podcast today that is the number one thing that should be being talked about where COVID is concerned and it's you know shoot i hate to throw a conspiracy theory out there if somebody wanted to make a virus that targeted western culture and do it in a lab and they made one that was specifically deadly to people who were overweight well shit wouldn't that target america think about it now all right i don't care i don't think this disease nature will throw a disease at us it wasn't created in a lab i doubt that but the fact of the matter remains the persons with these underlying health conditions are the most at risk okay so yes my icu is emptying out we only have a, a couple covid cases at a time right now so yay for us okay and you know depending on where you reside you will be more or less impacted by the mask wearing right the social distancing and and what is open for business most of that mask wearing and social distancing and what's open for business that's political right and i don't want this podcast specifically to be political today today's podcast is about getting healthy staying healthy so that your body can fight infectious diseases as it was intended to if you go to the CDC website, you'll find a graphic, and I'm not going to get too deep into this because you can look at it yourself, but it has a graphic that lists the increased risk of being hospitalized if you get COVID. So if you've got that underlying condition that I've just been talking about, it tells you how many more times the risk is compared to someone without any conditions that you have of being hospitalized. And on that CDC website, it says you've got 1.5 times likely for hypertension, that's high blood pressure, three times for obesity, and that's a BMI greater than 30, three times for diabetes, Okay. Three times for chronic kidney disease. So if you've got bad kidneys, you're three times more likely to end up in the hospital. And for severe obesity, which is a BMI greater than 40, now you're up to four and a half times more likely to end up in a hospital if you catch COVID than somebody who doesn't have any underlying conditions. Now, if you have three or more of these conditions, you jump to five times as likely to be hospitalized if you catch COVID-19. And I Bring this to your attention because over the last few months, I was on the front line of this pandemic. And to be frank, every one of my patients were clinically obese, had type 2 diabetes, and many had several other chronic conditions. The thing about these conditions, the top ones, is that they are, with very few exceptions, preventable. They are preventable with diet and exercise. 
in a generally speaking manner, these are diseases of lifestyle. It is my most extreme hope that coming out of this pandemic, everyone will take their health more seriously. And I wish from the bottom of my heart that everyone made a commitment to a healthier lifestyle. Then I would not have to meet them in my ICU. The main topic of this pod, diet. Specifically, a low-carb diet, sometimes called the keto diet. I have seen lately an increased interest in the low-carb diet, and I believe it is best if you make it a lifestyle. Full disclosure, this is the diet that I have incorporated into my lifestyle. I made the lifestyle change shortly after becoming a nurse. When I was fully exposed to the late consequences of diabetes, heart failure, and coronary artery disease. Now, it would be a very long podcast to teach you everything you may need to know about low-carb diets. So what I'm going to attempt to do with this podcast is to convince you why a carb-based diet is not right for most of us. Okay, I want you to know how and why to make the change permanent. And to begin with, humans are omnivores, okay? Meaning that we eat both plants and animals, okay? This trait that helped us adapt in early, you know, prehistory as we spread across the planet. And if it is necessary, we can live on just one or the other. Remember, if necessary. Because there's certainly a push by some clinicians for a completely plant-based diet. And hey, if you could stick to it, make sure you got all your essential amino acids, etc. There's actually nothing wrong with the plant-based plant-based diet, but I believe it is harder to follow as a lifestyle. So, stick with me for a little longer while we delve into the low-carb diet. There is some historical significance to the low-carb diet, okay? When an Arctic explorer, and you can look this guy up, all right? It's pretty neat, named William Stevenson documented the diet of the Inuit people native to northern Canada. They had a diet that consisted of up to 90% meat and fish, and Stevenson said that he lived with the Inuit for many months eating what they ate with no ill effects. And now, that's we don't have to go into all about Stevenson and what happened after that and how he promoted this, uh, what effectively was a zero-carb diet when he returned back to... Uh, uh, civilization, so to speak, but you can use your best Google foo. Look this guy up if that interests you. The reason I bring it up is that I want you to know that the human body is perfectly adapted to eating what is essentially a zero carb diet, and our ancestors did so on a regular basis. That's the history lesson out of the way. Next lesson when I teach this in the hospital, when I talk to people that are newly diagnosed as diabetics. And trust me, some of them I make cry, okay? The first thing that I want to teach them is that food is a drug. That's not metaphor. By definition, anything that you put into your body that causes a metabolic change is a drug. Hi, my name is Don, and I'm a carb addict. All right, just like a 12-step program. For me, and this is personal, I have an addiction to carbs, Okay. In my nursing practice, right, this is what I tell these newly diagnosed diabetics. That you have to think of sugars, all carbs really, like you were in a 12-step program. I tell them 
that if you were an AA, you wouldn't celebrate one month or one year sober with a trip to the bar, would you? And of course, the response is no, right? Then I respond with, so then, if carbs are your addiction, why would you celebrate your birthday with cake? Side note, you know what kind of pisses me off? Is that people insist on treating nurses with fucking cupcakes and cookies and candy. When someone brings the tray of cookies to the unit as a gift, I feel like the designated driver at the bar. What I'm trying to get to is that if you can accept that food is a drug, that sugars and carbohydrates are your addiction, that you want to do something about your addiction, then you have to make it a lifestyle. There are no cheat days. That's just falling off the wagon. Okay, you can it can happen, right? But you commit to getting back on. Okay, so that's lesson one, right? Food, sugars are a drug. Right. So let's talk about the sugars, talk about the carbs. From here on out, I'm going to use that word interchangeably. I'm just going to say sugars. And the reason for this is because what I'm really talking about is sugars in your bloodstream. Okay, that's the actual thing. So even if you're eating too many complex carbs, okay, that was my thing. Shoot, you know, I'm just plate after plate, go back for seconds and thirds of the, uh, of the pasta, right? So I know that's my problem, okay? But it still ends up as excess blood sugar. And that's what we are actually talking about here. And we'll talk about why that's bad in the cycle and how having a low-carb diet breaks it, okay? So from here on out, we're really talking about excess blood sugar. And when you eat an excess of carbs and sugars boom you spike your blood sugar for for people this happens okay you spike your blood sugar now when you have too much blood sugar this is the next thing i tried to teach people blood sugar is a poison in your body it is a poison if you don't believe me ask yourself this very simple question for people who are diabetics who have poorly controlled blood sugar what happens they damage their arteries, they damage their organs, they damage their nerves, they start to lose their toes, they lose sensation, okay, they lose their vision because excessive blood sugar is a poison to the body, period, end of story, it is, you can't get around that, so blood sugar is a poison to the body, you have to accept that part. Now, after we've accepted food's a drug, blood sugar is a poison to the body, the body wants to get rid of it, okay, so what does it do? increases insulin right releases that from your pancreas blood sugar starts to come down it goes into your your cells your cells use it for energy that's the general feature however once you find that you're addicted to that blood sugar that sugar okay your brain says oh my blood sugar's going down now i'm hungry eat more blood sugar goes back up release the insulin Blood sugar comes down, and this cycle goes on and on. Sugar up, insulin, sugar down, until you start to develop insulin resistance. Okay, insulin resistance. Insulin, by the way, is an incredible hormone. But what you have to realize is that too much insulin, and when your body's still making it, is a bad thing. It is an anabolic hormone that primarily helps you grow your fat cells, really, okay? insulin promotes fat buildup all right so part of the reason this works is we get to keep our insulin levels down 
okay? And we want to keep our blood sugar under control. So bear with me here, all right? We got to beat that cycle of the sugar going up and then falling, getting hungry and eating, okay? So as you go along working towards uh, developing type 2 diabetes, which is actually just really a fancy word for insulin resistance. As your blood sugar goes up, your body releases the insulin. What happens with hormones, right? And insulin binds to receptors on cells that helps shuttle the sugar out of your bloodstream into your cells is that the more and more of it you need, your cells start to get, for lack of a better term, overused, okay? They start to deregulate the insulin receptors. Deregulation, that's the fancy way of, you know, describing uh, what's going on at the cellular level, but what it you know, when we talk about insulin resistance, that's what we're talking about, okay? So now you need more and more and more insulin to control that blood sugar until you just can't control it anymore. It ends up way out of whack. And that's when you start crossing over into, you know, being officially diagnosed type 2 diabetic. Your A1C goes through the roof because your blood sugar is always too high and you can't do anything about it. However, well, I take that back. You can do something about it diet and exercise and we're getting there all right just to rehash right lesson one food's a drug we have to accept that part two sugar's bad it's a poison in the blood right insulin is not our friend too much insulin right helps us build the fat then we develop insulin resistance with a bad diet of way too many carbs keeping our blood sugar high the sugar's the poison causes damage right so if we've agreed to all of that then now we have to accept that the best way to correct all of this is to have a low-carb diet. Now, some people freak out when you say keto because they misunderstand it or they've heard bad things about it or it sounds extreme and way out there, which is why I started by telling you that the Inuit eat like a 90% meat and fish diet and it is perfectly normal the human body is actually able to ad adapt to this, okay? So, now I want to tell you why it all works too. Next step, next lesson, why does this work? It works because the way our body stores the sugars. You got to know this step next. We have uh, all the sugar in our body gets stored as glycogen. Our liver and our muscle cells take that sugar put it in there, pack it in long chains of glycogen. And when we stop eating carbs, when we do exercise and our blood sugar goes down, normally speaking, our liver releases the glycogen back into our bloodstream, maintaining a healthy, normal uh, blood sugar level. Okay. And that's the key. That's why, hey, eating zero carb, you're not going to run out of blood sugar. The ketosis part of the diet is just your body's way of adapting and it doesn't actually last very long. To get to it, you want to, I feel like I skipped a step in discussing this topic with you and I don't want to do that. I want you to understand specifically what's going on in your body so that you can think about it uh, and as to why this works here. So I was just discussing, right, storing glycogen your liver releases it. Normally, what happens, unfortunately, for a lot of Americans who end up having weight issues and being overweight due to poor diet, is that 
They eat both excessive carbs and excessive fats so that the liver fills up with glycogen to the point where it's full. And in that case, okay, it's got nothing else to do, so your sugars go up, and then you, because you're not utilizing uh, the fats for energy, then you also end up with excessive cholesterol and lipids and the uh, what they call the low-density lipoproteins floating through your bloodstream that end up causing coronary artery disease and some other things. So, to counteract, and this is important, this is the reason why I bring this up, is because there's a lot of negativity about the high fats and people who've been taught their entire lives that the fats are bad and that is not correct. The fats are not bad. Fats are an incredible source of energy and if you know how your body works and how your liver works, you'll see why this is such a brilliant thing. Ideally, what you have to do is you have to clean out your body of as much glycogen as you can. That's the hard part. It's the part where people have a hard time. But you have to cut your carb intake down to near zero and exercise hard enough that your blood sugar drops. I recommend getting a glucometer, getting it down to 60 or 70 and keeping it there for a long time. Even as you exercise hard, as you get all the uh, glycogen out and you empty your liver of glycogen, you empty your muscle cells of glycogen, this is going to force your body into initially into ketosis ketosis is a stopgap believe it or not your body can use these ketones they power your brain they power you know that's another form of energy transfer just like uh, carbs are in the metabolic process now what ends up happening is your body starts to trigger the production of new enzymes it says oh my goodness I am not getting enough carbohydrates. I'm going to have to use these fats as an energy source. And to do so, I need the enzymes that break the triglycerides down, the fat chains down, and incorporate them into the energy cycle of metabolism. You don't have to necessarily know all of that technical bits of what's going on inside the cells to grasp how this is working. Just know that it takes a bit of time. Once you have adapted your body to using primarily fats, that means you are not riding a cycle of up and down blood sugar and you are going to be able to utilize the stored fat of your body, release that and use that for energy, eat fats and your body will and your body and your liver by it will naturally maintain a healthy, steady blood sugar, believe it or not, it, it's capable of doing it with just the bare minimum of carbohydrates. I recommend don't go over 40 grams of net carbs a day. That's like a top. And In the beginning, you want to cut it less than 20. That is why this works. That is why I recommend it. Now, I'm not going to take all of the time that I, I can. It would take forever to actually teach all of the aspects of a low-carb diet. What I really want is to convince you to give it a try. Trust me. It works for me because I've accepted that carbs are my addiction. I have to 
be so strict that I don't eat cake on my birthday. I don't have any when people try to bring cookies for treats. I try to be semi-respectful and I go, why would you keep offering me this shit? But I understand enough about how carbs work in my body and my liver that you periodically have to cut out any go down to zero go get some exercise and empty the glycogen out of your body to keep this working and what i really uh if you now if i've got you convinced just to give it a try this is where i'm going to throw out a plug this is unsolicited i want you to go and look up a book all right because it's a quick read it should only take you one afternoon and it is going to have all of the stuff you need to do to actually begin the journey of a low-carb lifestyle incorporated into what you do and looking forward go i don't want to let my health affect my family by dying young from a disease that my body should have been able to fight and i hope this guy doesn't mind me throwing him a bone by promoting his book without talking to him because i haven't all right but it is called Eat Bacon, Don't Jog, subtitle Get Strong, Get Lean, No Bullshit, and it's by Grant Peterson. Okay, Once again, that's Eat Bacon, Don't Jog. The author is Grant Peterson. All right, It's a very quick read, and it has all of the information that you're going to need to start on a low-carb diet. And I want you and and I want you to incorporate an exercise program also. He talks about exercise in the book. That's it for this edition. This is Holy Cow with Nurse Dawn. And if you like what you hear, be sure to follow Holy Cow on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share with your friends on your favorite social media. If you've been listening to this podcast and like what you hear, please follow us on Twitter at holy underscore cow underscore pod. And share with your friends. You can listen to Holy Cow on Anchor, Breaker, Apple Podcast, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Spotify.